Good morning, everyone. How's everyone doing? All ready for Chinese New Year or holidays, whatever it is. <laughs> okay. Well, I was in KL last week, uh, this week actually, and we had some national leadership meetings, and I was talking to a fellow pastor whose son lives in Penang because he's in the Penang International Dental College. And he told me that uh, some, sometime recently, about a week or so ago, his son had to run down from the building. You know, it's a, about a 20-story building because the whole building was shaking, you know. I wonder any of you felt anything shaking around two, three weeks ago. I can't remember the exact time. Huh? Well, apparently, the island is more solid than Butterworth, <laughs> okay? In the sense that uh, it was a tremor from across from Indonesia. I mean, an earthquake over there, which happens frequently. Sometimes we feel it, sometimes we don't feel it. Now, today we want to look at another occasion when God's people gathered together and when they prayed, the building was shaken. But I want to give you some context to this first before we go into that. Now, last week, if you remember, you were here. Pastor Thomas shared how the early Christians devoted themselves to three things there. Okay, what are they? Underline for you. Number one, apostles, teaching. Say teaching. Secondly, to fellowship and the breaking of bread. Say breaking of bread, okay, which is actually fellowship. Uh, most of the time, it's not referring to just communion, uh, Holy Communion or Lord's Supper. And then the third one is prayer. Say prayer. All right, so there are three things that uh, they devoted themselves to. And how many of you are more attracted to the teaching part? You know, it's like, give me more Bible studies, you know. I will show up. Come on. People who are Bible study people, about three, four, five people, okay. Uh, how many of you are people who say, you know, yeah, have more prayer meetings? You know, that's what I want. Come on, all the prayer people, okay. Three, four, okay. I think most of you fall in the middle group. That is the fellowship group. Uh, uh, Pastor Thomas said koinonia, which for Hokkien people is koinonia. Uh, we don't always have kuei nyonya, but it is eating together, it is sharing life together. All three are important, but today we want to focus on the third aspect of what the early Christians did. And to give you a context of uh, how this happened, uh, we will just basically look at the book of Acts. Now, it is actually quite strange if you say when you look at the Old Testament, there are many prayers recorded in great length, like Hezekiah's prayer. Uh, and in the Psalms, you have lots of prayers. Actually, much of the Psalms are prayers. We have gone through four or five weeks of the Psalms, you remember, towards the end of last year. But when you go into the New Testament, you want to look for prayers, it's very few. About the only people whose prayers were recorded is Jesus' prayer in uh, John chapter 17, right? And then you look to Paul, who was very long-winded, and his prayers are also very long-winded, 
right? He goes all over the world in his prayers, Ephesians and so on. But apart from that, you want to look at what the ordinary Christians did when they prayed and what they actually prayed as ordinary Christians, not apostles, not Jesus. You are hard-pressed. It's like, where do we find examples of how the ordinary Christians prayed so that we can pray like them? Well, we are told in Acts chapter 1, after Jesus ascended to heaven, they gathered in Jerusalem in the upper room, and it says that they joined together constantly in prayer, but what did they pray for? We don't know. We know they, they had the election. They elected Matthias to replace Judas so that they would still have the 12 you know, disciples. But it is only until chapter 4 that we read of the first prayer meeting. And to give you a context as to what led to that, well, let me just jump right in, all right? After the day of Pentecost, God began to, uh, God poured out His Holy Spirit, and the people were doing exactly what this verse says here, okay? They devoted themselves to teaching, breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer, and Peter and John went to the temple at the hour of prayer, which I think is about three o'clock in the afternoon, where a lot of people would like to take a nap, you know, in the Middle East hot climate. But they went to the temple to pray. And it was while they were going to pray that a lame beggar looked to them and says, you know, kind of like, please give me alms. And they replied, we don't have money. Silver and gold have I none. Okay. But what we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he rose up and he walked. And it was so amazing because this man was 40 years old and he had never walked in his whole life. He was born lame. And everyone then knew him because, you know, he was a permanent fixture at the temple, right? He was begging regularly. So he was well known. And when they saw him walking, everyone was excited, you know, wow, this is a miracle. And Peter and John took advantage of the crowd gathering out of, you know, curiosity, amazement. And they preached the gospel to them and told them, you know, the name of Jesus uh, is the one who, you know, who did this. And, you know, they, he, they just went on and preached the gospel. Now, this caused a commotion because when the religious authorities heard of it, they told themselves, who are these fishermen? Have never gone to theological training and they are preaching to the people at the temple. They're not allowed to do that. We haven't given them a license to preach. Now, by the way, uh, all the pastors who preach here, we have a license, okay? I don't know where I put mine. Huh? <laughs> okay, I have so many cards. It's a card actually. And it's an annual license to preach now. Even if we don't have a license, we can still preach. It's just that we don't have official endorsement from a larger body, okay? So these guys have no endorsement from anybody. It's just that they had spent three years with Jesus. And so the authorities arrested Peter and John and interrogated them and asked them, okay, what happened? 
How is it that this man was healed and they say, it's, it's, the, it's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus, the, the very man whom you crucified. And he is the only person who can save, and we must be saved through him alone. And of course, they were not happy with what uh, they said. So they had to decide, what do we do? Obviously, we cannot deny that this is a miracle. But in order to, have, to limit the damage that it will cause, we will command them no longer to speak in the name of Jesus. And so as a result, they could not you know, do anything more. They released them. And when they went back to the, to the, to the church, this is what happened. Okay, now, just before, actually before they went back to the church, this is the interrogation, right? Acts 4.19. Just give you the context before we flow into the passage. And this is what they answered when they were commanded, don't talk anymore in the name of Jesus, which is right in God's eyes to listen to you or to him. You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. So they were very honest, you know. We have seen wonderful things. We have heard. We have experienced Jesus. We know he's real. We know he's good. He's our savior. And we cannot stop talking about it. Now, this is a natural response. When you discover something wonderful, when you experience something wonderful, you want to tell somebody. Is that true? Hello? When you hear a funny joke, do you just go to a room, shut the door, and laugh to yourself, you know? Kind of like read the joke 10 times and then keep laughing. No, it's ridiculous. You want to go out and look for somebody and share it with, right? When you discover the best chakra in Penang, you want to share it. Yes or no? And we have many ways to do so now. You can put it on Facebook, Instagram, and so on. Uh, last week, our family was out with us, son and daughter and, fa- and, and our grandchildren. And our daughter-in-law's family also came up for two days. And uh, Anna, our daughter-in-law's brother, went around to look for the best chakwetel in Penang. And he found four. And he ranked one, the top, said, this is the best. Okay. By the way, he ate four chakwetel in one day. Okay. Don't do that at home. It's dangerous. <laughs> but he's only 25, so it's okay. All right. And he says, this is the best. He says, you must try. And the whole family was all you know, wondering, what's this? You know? He says, it's so good. You'll be surprised. You know? So they all decided, you know, one day we all went to this place next to, uh, just beside Times Square. It's called left-handed chakritiao, okay? Now, not many people know that I'm actually a food critic. I mean, I, I don't eat a lot, but, you know, I really enjoy my food, right? And I like chakritiao, by the way, okay? So my standards are quite high, though, you know? <laughs> so I stood there and I saw the man frying it, you know, with his left hand, you know? I saw him fry and I said, fail. This is not Chao Kui Diao. He just kind of like, cha 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 you know, that, that's done, you know. And sure enough, you know, my son asked me, what is the ranking, one to ten? I said, about four only, four out of ten, you know. 
What's the best chart radio you have found in Penang? Nine. I haven't found 10 yet, okay? Tell you when you find 10, okay? So anyway, uh, they, they were raving about it uh, to the whole family because they found the best chart radio in Penang. They're from KL, by the way, you know? Left-handed chart radio. For the life of me, I don't know what's the difference between a left-hand fry and a right-hand fry. One out of 10 persons are left-handed. <laughs> so you can find the same thing everywhere, okay? Anyway, uh, they were so excited about it. They talked about it nonstop for the two days. All I could listen to was Chak Wei-Diao, Chak Wei-Diao, Chak Wei-Diao, left-handed Chak Wei-Diao, 888 Chak Wei-Diao, Lorong Selamat Chak Wei-Diao, Old Man Chak Wei-Diao. I don't know where else you find it, okay? But that's the nature of human beings. When we experience something wonderful, we cannot keep it to ourselves. We want to tell other people about it. Amen. And the problem is this, when we experience the goodness of God, we keep it to ourselves. Everything else we tell, what's wrong? I think something is wrong. So the early Christians, they couldn't keep talking about Jesus because that was what they experienced. They say, we cannot help. You cannot stop us. We will continue to talk about what we have seen and heard. So they threatened them further. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what happened. So there was a lot of popular support. And, you know, the religious leaders, they are actually politicians. Politicians always see where the wind blows, right? Before they do anything. So since the, all the people were praising God, they decided, okay, I think we better not punish them further, Right? For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old and he had never walked before, okay? Now, this is where we jump into the passage, okay? You've all been sitting down, very contented. Some of you are falling asleep, so quickly stand up and read God's Word. Come on, let's all stand. Let's read God's Word together. Verse 23 to 31. Let's go. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed they did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask for your Holy Spirit now to cause these words 
come alive in our hearts so that we may receive encouragement and faith to do what you have called us to do as your church and glorify your son because we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, so there are four questions I want to ask on this passage that we have just read. Simple questions. The first is this. What caused them to pray together? What caused them to pray together? Now, you've already got the context. It was a miracle that opened the door to preach the gospel to a lot of people at the temple, which caused a commotion. And Peter and John was arrested. And as a result, they were threatened and they went back and they told their people what had happened. So basically, what caused them to pray together? They had gone to preach the gospel. And if they had kept their mouth shut, nothing would have happened. The day would have been like any other ordinary day. They would go and pray, they will come back. There would have been no prayer meeting. But because they were doing what our theme says for this year, what is our theme for this year? Come on, look at your bulletin again. We're here to love and follow who? Pastor Isaac, is it? No, follow Christ. Obey and go. So they went everywhere God sent them. And in this case, they weren't even going to preach. They were just going to pray. But when the occasion presented itself, they preached. So they were actually obeying God's commission to preach to all creatures, to make disciples of all nations. And they were doing so in the name of Jesus. That's why, you know, the religious leader says, you can speak in any other name, but not this name. How come this name is so haram? I mean, why is this name prohibited? The name of Jesus? Well, it's because this is the person whom they crucified. This is a person whom they did not want to acknowledge as the Messiah. And it is in this person's name that they went out. And this person's name was more powerful than any other king. Imagine if the king of Malaysia sent you on a mission. You will have his authority with you. you to anybody who asks you what you're doing, you say, I come in the name of my king. And that's enough for them to say, okay, okay, you can do so. But... Peter and John was sent by the king of kings and the creator of the universe. And that's why they went and they obeyed. And God confirmed his word and the man was healed. But as a result, they were arrested and persecuted. I want you to know that when we obey Christ's command to go and preach the gospel to the lost, our prayers will be powerful and effective because we are serving God's will and purpose. Can I say amen? amen? Amen. Our prayers will be powerful and effective because we are serving God's will. But if we do not get involved in preaching the gospel, in sharing what God has done in our lives, then most of the time, even when we do pray, we will pray for only our own needs. And when we come together, we will also be praying largely for our own needs, which is not wrong in itself, but the focus will be very inward. But if we are actively engaged in preaching the gospel, then surely we will have opposition like Peter and John face. 
and that will cause us to pray even more. Because Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Will be persecuted. So if we are not persecuted, we have to ask ourselves whether we are living godly lives in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus said, you know, they did this to me. They are going to do it to you because you are my followers. So we have to ask ourselves, when we preach the gospel, when we obey God's commission, we will face opposition which will drive us to our knees. And when we pray, God will answer. Such prayers are urgent. Such prayers are caused by obedience to the Great Commission. So this is the context. This is why they prayed, right? So next question, how did they pray? How did they pray? There are four aspects we can see from this passage. Firstly, their prayers were united and fervent. United and fervent. It was red hot. It says when they heard this, when they heard Peter and John say, we are not allowed to speak anymore in the name of Jesus. They were all troubled. Huh? Really? How can this be? We cannot help but speak about Jesus. He's so good to us. Now we are threatened that we are not allowed to. And they raised their voices. It says, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now I want you to know that they all prayed out loud at the same time. It was simultaneous. There was nobody telling them, you know, okay, this is how you pray, or nobody saying, all right, now you keep quiet, I will pray, and after I finish praying, you just say amen. And if you cannot say amen, you just nod. If you cannot nod, just close your eyes and go to sleep, uh, which is largely passive. No, they all did it at the same time. They were all crying out to God. They raised, it says here, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, I want you to know that when we pray together, it's not always necessary to have someone so-called lead in prayer or pastor or leader. Much of the New Testament style of prayer was simultaneous. Everyone crying out to God at the same time. Say, isn't that confusing? Who knows what's being prayed? It's confusing to you, perhaps, but it's never confusing to God because He can listen to all our prayers at the same time. Amen. Thank God, you know. God doesn't say, hey, wait, 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 wait. Let me finish with uh, Tom first. When Tom finished praying, then I'll listen to your prayer. Huh? Oh, no, no. There are about three million people waiting in line, you know. No. He can listen to all our prayers at the same time. So it's no issue at all. So they were all praying to God at the same time. But more than that, it was not just fervent and loud, but it was united. Can you say amen? United. So they prayed with one heart on the same topic. Now, I want to ask you, what is the topic of their prayer? Hmm? What's the topic? Well, it was summed up by Luke. Luke is the one who wrote down. At the end of this, Luke 
wrote down what they prayed for. So we have an idea because all other prayer meetings, we have no idea what they prayed for. So we look at that later. But I just want to highlight the fact that, you know, as a church, we want to do that. We want to have times of prayer. Now, I want you to know that there are three times set aside for the English congregation uh, on this side to pray. And that is at Saturday, 5 p.m. before the service, you know. And I know a lot of people like to just sit in, you know, level two and then, you know, just have uh, fellowship, you know, but it's good to come up and pray and we see more of them coming up. And this morning, we saw quite a number of you, 20, 30, 40 of you just come and sit, right, and join together in prayer. That's wonderful. So 9.45 a.m., 15 minutes before we start the worship. And Wednesday, we have a time of prayer here as well as in Butterworth, okay? Now, during those times of prayer, we will allow you to participate that means we will ask you to pray on the same topic at the same time, all together, simultaneously, right? The, the pastor leading will give you guidance so that we can all pray united and fervent prayers. Can you say amen? amen. Where we can all raise our voices. Go back to it and say, what, what, what do you say? Say that they raise their voices together. So that's what we can do. We can all raise our voices together. It's also very good to warm up your voice before you start worship, you know. Hello? So that when you start worshiping, you know, corporately, uh, your voice is all ready. So it's a side benefit. So we can do that. We are going to be raising our voices so that we can all cry out to God on the same thing, united. Now, you see, they had a common prayer topic. And I want you to know it was not their personal needs that they were praying for. They're not thinking about, okay, oh, I have this domestic issue, I have this financial issue, I have this health issue, you know, and, you know, shooting off all in different directions. Nothing wrong with that. But if they had a common prayer topic and it was the work of the gospel. Can you say amen? And this is something that we will do every month. Once a month, at least, we will be praying for the people who are preaching the gospel, our mission partners in Vietnam, in Nepal, in Thailand, in Romania, and these other countries who are faithfully preaching the gospel and facing opposition as well. We also pray for the preaching of the gospel in Butterworth and in Batukawan, where we are launching in a few months' time our third center. So this is very good because we are doing what the New Testament Christians did, and that is praying for the work of God, not just their own needs. Of course, there are other times we can do that in your, in your cell groups, but typically you can pray for one another's needs, right? The second aspect of their prayers is that their prayers were God-centered. Let's say God-centered, okay? Now, I want you to notice that they referred to God directly. They addressed God in their prayers. They, they say, you made the heavens and the earth, and then you spoke by the Holy Spirit. Spirit. They didn't start with, oh God, we are in trouble. We are now threatened. Their focus was not on themselves. Their focus was on God. Can you say amen? Powerful prayers are God-centered prayers. Focus on God and who He is. They're saying, God, you are the sovereign Lord. You made the heavens and the earth. And who are these people? To think they can stop your work. 
We are on the right side of history. We are on the side of the Creator. Who are these people who think they can stop the work of God? Thirdly, their prayers were word-centered. It was not just, oh God, but it was based upon the very word that God had inspired the prophets and apostles to write. So their prayers went, why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Now, where did they get this from? I want to ask you, where did they get this from? Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? It's like, wow, sounds very poetic too, you know. Who composed this poem? It's actually a poem, by the way. It's a psalm. Now, we, I thought we finished the psalms last month. I mean, first week of the month, actually we cannot finish the Psalms <laughs> because so much of the New Testament refers back to the Old Testament and Jesus quoted the Psalms more than any other book in the Old Testament. So you can never finish the Psalms. So they were actually in their prayers quoting from a very familiar Psalm, that is Psalm number two. Now, we only did Psalm number one, right? So we ended. Okay, now we continue Psalm number two. <laughs> okay, they were actually quoting Psalm two, which goes like this. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed one saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now, does that sound very similar? Yeah. They, they were actually quoting the Psalm, but there's one more verse. The people who were against God's work, said, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. So it was a very scriptural prayer where they were basically quoting this passage and affirming that the opposition they are actually facing is the opposition from God's enemies. And Lord Ogilvy, Ogilvy pointed out that uh, in quoting from this passage, God's people are basically saying, all the while from the beginning, we have always been in trouble. <laughs> so trouble now in Jerusalem is nothing new. God's people have always been opposed. This has been going on. Psalm 2 has been going on. Now, the fourth aspect of their prayer is that their prayers were prayed with faith. Say faith. It was prayed with great faith. Why? Because they were applying Psalm 2 to their own personal crisis. When they said, indeed, verse 27, Herod and Pontius Pilate, hello, when did we hear about these two guys? If you have been reading your Bible recently, during the Christmas season, remember, there was a man by the name of Herod huh, who wanted to kill Jesus. Right? And you remember, uh, by the way, this is, you know, this is uh, another Herod, okay? All right, they, they all, it's a title, so they kind of like keep the name. But there's another name that was very familiar to us Pontius, what? Pilate. Any of you name your sons Pilate? Huh? We don't like that name, right? Because he's associated with 
you know, washing his hands and saying, okay, you know, this man is innocent, but, you know, I'm not guilty. You do with him what you want, you know. I mean, he was, it was cowardly act, right? So his name is forever associated with someone who had no courage to do what is right, but sold out to the pressure of the religious authorities, right? So all of them colluded together in this city. They conspired against the holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. Now, what are they saying here is this. This is history. This just happened. Okay? It was just, just weeks before. Merely weeks before. But then they didn't stop there. Verse 28. They did what was your what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, here is theology. Here is why it happened. That it wasn't a tragedy. It wasn't something that was unforeseen. It happened because God's power and will decided beforehand it should happen. Okay? Now, the early Christians understood this, that while human beings are free to do what they like to do, Right, this morning, who told you what breakfast to eat? Huh? If you're young, you say, my mother said, eat this or nothing else to eat. Huh? But once you became an adult, hey, you run your own life, right? You have a free will. So they understood that while human beings have a free will, God is still sovereign. Can you say amen? While we are free to choose our lives, God still determines the course of history. And so you see here again, verse 27, 28, Verse 27 is talking about free will. How evil men got together and they conspired against Jesus. Okay? And what they did was wicked, but it was not an accident. It was not a tragedy. Because verse 28 says that they did what God's power and will already decided. Long ago, that should happen. So, it's divine sovereignty. God decided the outcome. Now, if you ask me, how can this be? I thought we are free to do what we, we want to do. How can God be sovereign when I'm free? If God is sovereign, then I'm not free. Well, the Bible gives us this, this kind of tension. Okay? And because they understood this, they could pray with confidence. They say, God, we know. Yeah, evil men have done this. And evil men are continuing to do this to us. But you are still sovereign. You see, this powerful prayer was grounded on the confidence and assurance that God's hand was at work in their persecution, not just to stop it, but to allow it in the first place. That even the fact that they are being persecuted is because God sovereignly allowed it. Can you say amen? Amen. When you and I have such faith in the sovereignty of God, the one who made the heavens and the earth, no matter what happens in this life, you know that there are no accidents in that sense. That God is still sovereign. Can you say amen? We can rest assured. We have assurance. We do not go through life with fear. But you know, there are so many Christians who say, yeah, I know God is sovereign. I trust that He is sovereign. But then, I also want to, I also want to determine how I want to live my life. You know? 
So what they, what they are doing is this. They are not actually trusting in the sovereignty of God. They are trusting only in their own judgments. Like some people say, I trust no one. I only trust myself. Now, if you are a Christian and you say, I only trust myself, something is wrong. You see, when you, when you have faith in a sovereign God, that God is totally sovereign, nothing happens outside of His control, and nothing happens that is not for our ultimate good, then somehow fear doesn't control your life. You lose the fear that controls people because you have the fear of God instead. But in this case, when you do not trust the sovereignty of God, you are afraid of losing control. You're afraid of putting your life into the hands of someone else and you're wondering whether this person can be trusted, whether this person can, will treat you well. Now, actually, as even adults, we put our lives into other people's hands very often. Really? Yeah. When you take a flight, do you know the pilot? Do you know whether he quarreled with his wife the night before? Do you know whether he has a girlfriend that he wants to spike and say, I'll kill myself, then you will regret, you know? Uh, you don't know. Do you know the air traffic controller who is separating all the aircrafts? Uh, whether he slept the night before or his blurry eye, you know? What's this beep here, beep there, you know? I must separate them, you know? All right? I talked to an air traffic controller who attends PC Butterworth and found out you know, how they work and when I found out more about how they work, I, I said to myself, I think we should pray more whenever we fly. <laughs> we take so much for granted. Huh? When you put yourself into a grab car, you are putting your life in the person's hands too. How do you know he's not going to crash the car into a divider somewhere? Huh? How do you know that in the moment when he's trying to you know, check what's the next message, you know, take his eyes off the road, right? that he will crash into somebody who just stopped in front of him. You're putting your life in the people's hands all the time. Now, if we can trust human beings like that with our lives, why shouldn't we trust the God who loves us? Can you say amen? Who is all wise, all loving, all kind, all holy, who can never do what is bad, ultimately bad, that is, who has our best interests at heart. So, these Christians here, they had learned to put their hands, their lives in the hands of the creator of the heavens and the earth. And you see that in their prayers. You see that when they are threatened, they go back to the sovereignty of God. Can you say amen? And these prayers, by the way, you, you can see, tells you, that this is how they prayed. What did they ask for? Third question. What did they ask for? Now, you do not find them asking, God, please, let the pressure die down. Give us a bit of space. God, allow us to just lie low for a while, you know. No, they were not praying for their own comfort or safety. They didn't even say, God, would you punish these wicked people who crucified the Messiah, there was no hatred. There was no disappointment or frustration. They didn't even complain, God, we are only obeying you. 
Why are we facing trouble? It's not like we are disobeying you. We are doing exactly what you told us to do, and that's to preach the gospel. You see, they trusted that their lives were in God's good hands. Nothing happens to them by chance. And they look to the Word of God to understand life. Hello? That's very important. They look to the Word of God to understand what was happening in their lives. Why is that important? Because unless we can see through the eyes of God, we cannot really understand what's going on in our lives and even in our world. You see, they look to the Word of God for wisdom and for answers to everything happening to them and around them under the sovereignty of God. Now, I know it's very important for us to, you know, know what's going on and how do we do that, right? Most of us nowadays, we just open the phone, right? You don't even need to ask. Your friends will send you all the latest news. Be careful, a lot are fake news also, <laughs> okay? It's good to know what's going on, to, be, to, to, to know that, you know, yeah, what's happening to our government, right? Thank God, plus was not sold again. <laughs> so that we'll be paying tolls until our grandf- grandchildren's time, okay? All right, hopefully this will be an end, you know, after like how many more years? 20 more years, is it? Extended by 20 years, right? I mean, we need to know all these things affect our lives, right? But we need to read the Bible, not just read the newspaper. Hello? We need to read the Bible so that when we read the Bible, we will understand what's happening in our world. Because it is God's Word that gives us God's view of life, gives us perspective and understanding. And that's what they were doing even in their prayers. They went back to the Word of God to get understanding as to what was going on in their lives. Can you say amen? And they submitted to the sovereign will of God. Amen? Because God already told them long ago, this is what's going to happen to the Messiah. They're going to persecute the Messiah. And they're going to persecute all the followers of this Messiah. And still going on today in nations of the world, in China, the church is being clamped down so hard. In India, in Indonesia, churches are still being burned, and you don't hear much about it. In the Middle East, Christians are being tortured and imprisoned. It's never been easy to be a Christian in all these nations. Chuck Colson said, more Christians have been martyred for their faith in the last, in the 20th century than the previous 19th centuries. That means in that 100-year period, which we just ended in year 2000. There were more Christian martyrs than 1,900 years before. Many of them are now being kidnapped in Africa by Boko Haram, made slaves. They are starved. Their crops are looted and burned across the centuries. The price of preaching the gospel, winning souls, have often been paid in blood. As Tertullian, one of the early church fathers said, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. It is still true today. There are missionaries 
and even ordinary believers who are dying, giving their lives for the gospel so that others can hear. But you know what? When the believers understood God's purposes deeply from their hearts and from the word of God, something marvelous happened. They lost their fear. They had no fear. And they, their prayers went beyond their personal needs to the will of God and the purposes of God. They were no longer just concerned about their comfort, their security, their provision. And their prayers became selfless. Now look at verse 29. It said, Now, Lord, consider their threats. Consider their threats. Why? Because it was a real threat. Because when threatened, human response is that we retreat, especially when we know we don't have enough power to fight. When they have all the power, we don't have the political power. The, na the natural thing to do is to retreat. So it says, consider their threats, but enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, this is really remarkable. They're asking for two things here. Underline them for you. First, they ask for boldness to preach the gospel. Secondly, they ask for signs, right? That God would work miracles. Wasn't this the very thing that caused Peter and John to be arrested and threatened, that they were bold to preach the gospel and that God had performed a sign, that combination is a very powerful and dangerous combination. It's also a very troublesome combination. So they are basically asking for more trouble when they pray. They say, God, we don't mind, Lord. We know this is what got us into trouble and we know this is what you said would happen. But we want more bonus and we want more signs. And we know it's going to lead to more persecution. Now, why did they pray such a, a reckless prayer? It's because they knew God's promise. Psalm 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Amen. Hey, it's a good prayer to memorize, you know. Once in a while, you may need to pray this prayer. <laughs> the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? You see, when we believe that our God is all good, all wise, all sovereign, all loving, we lose our fear. We just say, Lord, I will do what you want me to do. We will lose our fear of persecution. You see, the early Christians faced persecution. There were waves of it, you know. There were periods of calm, and then another wave would come. But persecution was a very common feature of the Christian life in the first century. And in many parts of the world, it has always been. And so we ask ourselves, you know, if we do not face persecution, if nobody bothers us, it may mean that we are not doing our job, you know. We are not actually preaching the gospel. And you know, Chinese New Year is coming, so many of you will see people that you have not seen for a long time, maybe the whole year. And we have the opportunity to tell them what Jesus has done for us as 
the early Christian says, we cannot help. We must talk about what we have seen and heard. And when we do so, don't be surprised. Some of people who hear this will say, we don't want to hear about it. Huh? We don't want you to gong ye so. Huh? Talk about Jesus in Cantonese as well means talk about boring stuff. Okay? It's okay. I mean, you can respect them. We do not have to be a nuisance. We do not have to impose ourselves. But we should do it politely and just tell people what Jesus has done for us. That's the least we can do. And this is what the early Christians did at every opportunity. Now, let me just close with this last question. What happened after they prayed? Verse 31, Luke records, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was what? Shaken. They spoke and they were all filled. Say filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. So the three things that resulted from coming together to pray was that the place was shaken. Now, I don't know whether you want that to happen or not when you pray. I don't think we appreciate that, right? I mean, we are people who like to have the ground very firm, okay? So this was a unique miracle. I don't think God intended every prayer meeting to be, you know, shaken. Otherwise, we have to install, you know, platforms that move, you know, <laughs> every time. Amen! You know, right? Uh, we are not into that kind of game, so. But the second and the third thing should happen and can happen every time God's people come together and pray, and that is we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Can you say Amen. And we can then, with the power of the Holy Spirit, go out and speak the word of God boldly. Amen. And this is what we want to see more in our lives in this year, personally, and in our times of prayer. So that when we pray powerful prayers, according to the will of God, for the advancement of the gospel, that we will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And we will speak the word of God with greater boldness, unapologetically, yet respectfully. So let this be our desire as we close, as the worship team comes back. And as we sing this song, as, as, as we close, I want you to ask God, God, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? Would you give me boldness? And in the next week when I meet so many people, give me the boldness to just Put a good word out. Instead of recommending the best chakwete on Penang, let me recommend Jesus to them. Amen. Amen. And do it politely. Do it respectfully. And if the conversation takes you further, then you have more opportunity to share your testimony. So we're going to pray this prayer through the words of this song. And as we do so, if you have come with a need in your life, you have a sickness in your body, you have a financial need, you have a need for wisdom, for a decision you need to make, a relational issue to settle. We want to pray with you. Just come forward as we sing this. Let's stand together as we ask the Holy Spirit to come. We start from the chorus. Holy Spirit, you are welcome.